Hi, my name is Michael, and welcome back to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. We're just in the first few weeks of the semester, and yet the hustle and the bustle of our busy lives can already feel overwhelming. In this world, we need our faith to be more than just words. We need something real. We're looking at that in our new series, Real Faith in the Real World, and today, Jeremy will take us through the first few verses of the book of James. Welcome to the challenge. Well, that was great. Awkward thing is I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> so here it goes. Um, no, I, I, that's hopefully you don't ever want to hear me rap or say anything at a fast pace like that ever. Um, welcome, everybody, to the first Christian challenge. I'm glad you guys are all here. This is the first one of the semester, so it's exciting. Uh, if you're new to Christian Challenge, this is this is new to us, this room. We, for years, have been in TCC 450. It's kind of been home for us, but um, in God's design, I guess, for whatever reason, we're going to be in a new room. And who knows? Stay tuned. We may be in a different room next week, so um, don't get too comfortable. But I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, uh, my name is Jeremy Walker, and I'm on staff with Christian Challenge. If I haven't met you, I look forward to meeting you, among other responsibilities, including uh, speaking here from time to time. I help lead the freshman uh, part of our ministry called Freshman Connections. So if you're a freshman and you haven't gotten to attend that yet, I'd encourage you to talk to someone who looks like a freshman or works with freshmen <laughs> and uh, ask them about it because chances are they've probably been. So um, so again, um, on the behalf of myself and the other staff, we're glad you guys are all here tonight. Uh, if you, you guys may be coming in with the group this size from a variety of places. If you're coming in here and you have a relationship with Jesus and you're wanting help, to grow in that, you know, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, if you are here and you're kind of skeptical of the whole uh, thing about Christianity, but a friend invited you and kept sending you incessant texts, and so you finally decided to come, we're glad you're here. And then if you're somewhere in between, um, you know, we're glad you're here. And I hope tonight is really helpful for you. Hope it's encouraging. Hope it's a fun time and that there be, you'll get something out of it. Um, so I get the privilege of getting to kick off a series that we're going to be covering uh, over the course of about the next nine weeks. And it's called Real Faith um, in the Real World. And this series, what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be spending time walking through uh, not the entire letter, but most of the letter of uh, James from the New Testament. And now, if, uh, if you're a person that when you read something, you kind of like to cut out the fluff, you know, like you, you read things, you're kind of like, okay, what's the point? You know, then the letter of James is, is a letter for you because that's exactly what James does um, James in the New Testament? It's kind of like if you've ever read any of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's kind of like the New Testament version of that in a lot of ways. I mean, it's packed with a lot of illustrations, a lot of uh, one-liners, and a lot of things that don't have a lot of transition statements. Um, that's kind of how James writes, and so it's a book that's really written for you know if you like things kind of on the bottom shelf. You know, James is going to be a letter that you're going to really enjoy. Uh, but even more importantly, and I think where the letter of James has been most helpful in my own life personally, is that James sort of addresses life how it really is, you know, problems and all. He doesn't sugarcoat stuff. He doesn't try to minimize issues, but he just kind of addresses it how it really is. And, you know, James uh, also isn't, isn't one of those sort of self-help talks kind of books where, you know, and, and some, it's, isn't that so frustrating sometimes when you hear those self-help things and they and they, they start from a premise like, okay, your life's all together, so let's talk about how to make it better, you know, or they don't address, you know, the nitty-gritty normal, you know, problems of life. And so you walk away sometimes from a self-help, you know, talk or, or a TED talk of some sort, and you go, well, that sounds nice, 
but that just isn't livable. Like, I have no idea how I'd actually be able to pull that off. Um, but the letter of James was actually written by the half-brother of Jesus, who used to think at one point that his brother Jesus was crazy. And then, and he thought he was crazy because, you know, if your brother claimed to be God in the flesh, you'd think he was crazy too. And then actually, that all changed for James one day when he saw his brother rise from the dead after having predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulling it off. And after that, James became a believer and his brother ended up becoming his Lord. Now, I am a younger brother. I'm sure many of you have older siblings who have probably tried to get you to think they were perfect and worship them. Um, but James actually ended up doing that with his brother. He finally realized, yeah, my older brother really is perfect. He really is, you know, my Lord, and I'm going to, you know, follow him. And that all changed because James had an experience where he couldn't deny what his eyes had seen. And so James ends up becoming one of the main leaders of the Christians in Jerusalem in the first century, which is where sort of the epicenter of Christianity really began to spread and all throughout the known world from there. But this didn't happen without difficulty. See, in the first century, all over the Mediterranean, as people became followers of Jesus, uh, they faced some real heavy persecution. And probably nowhere more severe than in Jerusalem. See, Christians in Jerusalem, they were beaten for their faith. They were thrown in jail. They were blocked from many of the social and economic advantages by by the Jews and by the Romans because they were followers of Jesus. And many of them even were martyred for their faith because they were Christians. And in fact, the church of Jerusalem was so poor that there was another Christian, many of you might have heard of named Paul, that he would travel, he wrote much in the New Testament, he'd travel around the the Mediterranean, sitting there collecting money from all the other Christians who didn't have that much money themselves to begin with, and he would bring it back to Jerusalem so that these really poor, destitute Christians in Jerusalem could, could get by, would have enough to live off of. And so these are the people that James is leading. And he faithfully kind of led these and shepherded these people in Jerusalem for over 30 years, only to himself have his life uh, come to an end by being martyred for his own faith. And so James has a unique perspective on life that's incredibly beneficial, not only the people of the first century, but beneficial for us as well. Because you see, James, he was a brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. And so he saw firsthand, you know, Jesus' teachings. Jesus' way of life, the way, you know, how, how you live in the kingdom of God now, he saw that lived out very practically and very up close and personal his whole life. And James also was not a stranger to hard times, and neither was his audience. And so James writes this letter to help people understand how do you live as a true follower of Jesus um, in the here and now, in the kingdom of God, not just when things are going well, but when things are really tough as well, when you're facing, you know, extreme hard situations and you're not really exactly sure why you're experiencing going through the trials that you're facing. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm going through tough times, when I'm going through different trials, I'm tempted to do things that I wouldn't normally do. You know, when I'm going through tough situations, I'm tempted to say things that I wouldn't normally say. And I'm tempted to believe things I wouldn't normally believe, and I'm tempted to treat people the way I wouldn't normally treat them. And as I thought about that, I think it's because of different feelings that are coming inside me, sort of um, causing me to be fearful or to be lonely or angry or just discouraged because of the trials that I'm facing. 
Um, so I end up acting very unusual. You know, can any of you guys relate to that? Have you guys experienced that before? Yeah. They're like, no, it's beginning of the year. I don't have tests yet. You know, um, but you will. You will. Um, and, um, and you know, that's right. And James, you know, James and his audience, I mean, they can relate to that kind of stuff too. And so he wrote this letter to give some real practical advice on how to live as Christians in the gritty and raw and very everyday aspects of life, but to do it from God's perspective and to do it with the hope that not only would our trust in God grow stronger, but our relationships would get better and that we would become even more like Jesus as a result of our trials. And so tonight we're going to look at the first 12 verses of the letter of James. And um, we're going to, and these first 12 verses of the letter of James, they're kind of an overview of some of what James is going to break down and talk about and give examples of further in his letter. Um, and so let me read this for you. And then we're going to kind of read the whole section. And then we're going to break it down and talk about uh, what we can get out of it. So he starts off the letter like this. He says, James, <clears throat> a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't know what your elementary school workload was like, but mine was tough, you know? And I'm not exactly sure. I still think back over the years, like how much that had to do with I was a little slow and how much that had to do with I went to hard school. I'm not exactly sure. But what I do know was that when I would get home, I'd be like, this is ridiculous how much schoolwork I have to do, you know? And I'm just in elementary school. And, and honestly, it began to stress me out and frustrate me, even as a little kid. And I could see my parents obviously were paying attention to this. And so one day, my mom came up to me, and she wrote verses 2 through 4 that we just read on a card. And she gave it to me, and, you know, and instead of bashing my teachers with me, which I kind of hoped she would have, um, and instead of telling me that I didn't need to do my homework because it was just ridiculous, which also I was kind of hoping she would do, um, or instead of just telling me to just suck it up, which I'm glad she didn't. Uh, she sympathized with my frustration, and instead she just said, hey, you know, I encourage you to memorize these verses and think them over. I think they'll be a help. And that actually, as far as I can recall, was the first verse I ever memorized um, that my mom, you know, wrote down on this card for me. And so the beginning of that says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, if that statement doesn't seem a little odd or counterintuitive to you, um, I'd be surprised. You know, it did to me when I first read that. Um, you know, because see, I don't know about you, but when I'm facing a trial and I'm going through something tough, I'm not thinking, oh boy, 
you know, another difficult situation. I was waiting for that. You know, I mean, no, I'm, I, I don't think that, and I don't think any of you guys think that. Instead, when I encounter trials, usually I want to do one of a couple of things. You know, option one for me is I like to escape from it, you know, as fast as I can. I, I, I want to quit that job. I want to drop that class. I want to shirk that responsibility. I want to ignore that person or break that commitment. You know, that's option one. And if I can't do that, then I move to option two, which is I just ignore the trial. I just pretend like it doesn't exist, you know? And I do that through large consumptions of food, large consumptions of TV, you know, maybe daydreaming, and then I go back to food, you know? Um, but for some people, maybe they turn to, you know, even harder things. Maybe, maybe for some people, some of you guys here, you, you turn to drugs, you turn to alcohol, or maybe you turn to sex to ignore the trials that you're going through. Or if I'm being more noble, I'll turn to option three and I'll cry out to God and say, get me out of this situation as fast as possible. I don't want to be in this. And yet James, his encouragement to his original audience and to you and I is none of those three options. Instead, he says, when we encounter trials, we should consider it all joy. To which you may want to reply to him, yeah, but James, you don't know what I'm going through. See, if you knew what I was going through, you wouldn't tell me to consider it all joy. And yet, I'm sure if James were here, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but since he's not, I'm going to, um, he would probably say something to the effect of, you know, you're right, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know at all. But I do know what I've gone through, and I know what the people that I'm leading have gone through, and I know what my brother Jesus went through. And I'm not saying you have to pretend to enjoy your painful experience or even seek out trials, but what I am saying is that whatever you're going through, you would be wise to consider it all joy. To which, again, we might ask, yeah, but why? Why, James, should we consider it all joy? To which you'd probably answer, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. You see, what James knew is that trials in life are just unavoidable. You know, if you, if you live long enough, you're going to experience various trials and hard times in all areas of your life. That's just part of it. That's a given. The question is whether or not we'll have the wisdom to see how God is wanting to use the trials that we're going through to really strengthen our faith muscle and to grow our trust in him so that we can develop endurance to be able to have standing power for the other things that God has for us later down in life. You know, my wife and I, um, my wife Katie is here, by the way. Where is Katie? Hi, Katie. Yeah, she's there in the back. Um, so... Uh, my wife and I have uh, three kids. We have a seven-year-old little girl named Corey and a five-year-old boy named William and a two-year-old girl named Ruth. And, you know, when they're struggling with various things at their age and stage, whether it's putting up with their siblings or learning to ride a bike or learning to swim, one of the things that Katie and I like to encourage them with is telling them, you know what, this is an important skill to stick with, but it's not even about swimming. It's not even about learning to ride the bike. It's not even about learning how to do math, as important as that may be. But there's bigger things at stake here. See, if you will choose to trust God and stick with it, you're going to develop your perseverance muscle. And that perseverance muscle is far more important and needed in life than learning how to ride a bike or learning how to swim. You know, but if you don't stick with this particular thing right here, you won't get an opportunity to grow that muscle more and more and That'll be beneficial in your marriage and parenting and your job and ministry. And so that's one of the things that we tell them. Um, and we tell them, you know, if you bail out, 
and you get frustrated and you ignore the things you're going through, you're going to miss out on the joyful opportunity to really grow your faith. And as a result, grow your endurance muscles. And I would say the same is true for myself. The same is true for each one of you guys as well. But James says more. He says, and that's not all. He goes on and says in verse 4, he says, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is saying here is that, you know, you and I, we all have areas of our character that are undeveloped. You know, every one of us. We have some flabby faith, you know, and we have some flabby character muscles that need to be toned and that need to be built. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is we're going to have to exercise those muscles the same way we exercise normal muscles. You know, large amounts of weights, repetition, 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 repetition. Except our character muscles, the weight for that is trials. And what James is saying is if we allow our personal trainer, you know, God himself to take us through the personal training course that he has for us, and we trust the process and we trust him through that, whatever the trials may be, that we will be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. But we have to trust and follow the trainer. And we can't leave the gym early. You know, that's what he's saying here. Don't leave the gym early, you know. Don't skip leg day. As easy as that may be and as painful it is to go through that, you've got to go through leg day. And the idea of, of a perfect and complete that he's talking about, it doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless, you know, a few months from now or just after that trial. But what he's saying is you're going to grow in maturity. You're going to grow in your character and your skill to be able to handle whatever God has for you in the future. And the final goal, what, what we're really working towards is that we would look more and more like Jesus. You know, one of my favorite examples from the Bible of someone who really exemplifies this verse in James right here is Joseph from the Old Testament. Um, Joseph, if, if any of you guys are unfamiliar with him, when he was about 17 years old, you know, the age of some of you guys that are freshmen here, um, he was sold into slavery. You know, you think your classes are tough right now. Um, you're, he was sold into slavery and by his brothers, no less. And then he gets sold into slavery, gets, you know, dragged down to Egypt, and then he ends up working in this military commander's house, and he begins to gain some status only to be falsely accused of rape and thrown into jail, where he remains until he's about 30 years old. Um, and then, I won't go into all the detail, but he ends up miraculously becoming the second in command of all of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And if you don't believe me, read the book of Genesis. It's true, it's in there, but I won't go into all the detail of that. But what I do want to highlight is during those 13 years of really brutal trials, the Bible says that Joseph continued to trust God despite the very unusual training program that God had uh, him to go through at that time. You know, like you and like me, he probably was not thinking that the fast track to leadership included slavery, being a servant, going to prison, and then being the right-hand man of the prison warden. Those are not exactly resume builders in most people's minds. They're not thinking, yeah, that really impressed the next you know, internship that I might want to get. And yet Joseph continued to obey God, and he didn't bail out when it got hard. And as a result, not only was his faith and character strengthened, but he was eventually able to see the bigger picture more clearly, of not only how God wanted to use the trials in his life, but how God wanted to use that in the lives of other people as well. So years later, when his brothers find out, oh yes, they found out he's still alive. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's like such an epic scene in a movie. Like, oh no, you know, <laughs> it's like 
talk about, you know, yeah. Um, well, I won't go into that, but. So they find out he's still alive and they're standing in front of him down in Egypt and they are worried. They're thinking, we're going to get killed. You know, he's about to exact revenge on us right here and right now. And yet Joseph assures his brothers that revenge is not on his mind. And in fact, he says something very insightful and very profound. He says in Genesis 50, 20, you see here on the screen, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God had used this trial in Joseph's life so that he would be in a position to really lead Egypt and lead all these other nations around the ancient Near East to be able to come out of a severe famine, you know, mostly alive. And, uh, and he did that because he wisely stored up all this grain before the famine hit so that when the famine came, people had something to eat. Now, I doubt Joseph fully knew what lied ahead for him when he was going through those trials. Um, but what he did know was that God wasn't looking to derail his life through the trials that he was going through. But instead, God was using the trials to make his life the best it could be and to accomplish his purposes in the world. Let me, let me say that again. God was using the trials that he was putting Joseph through to make his life really the best it could be and so that he could accomplish his purposes in the world. And so like James, you know, Joseph could count all joy when he encountered various trials, knowing that the testing of his faith would produce endurance if he would stick with it. And endurance would have its perfect result and he would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God knew there were lessons that Joseph needed to learn in slavery and in prison that he might not have learned otherwise in order to be able to lead a nation through a difficult time. But Joseph had to trust God and um, trust that God knew what he was doing. Now, you may be thinking like many of people of James' audience as they read, you know, James 2.4 say, you know, I, I like to believe that. You know, I like to think that God's going to do something good through a trial that I'm facing, but I'm just, I'm just not so sure he will, you know. And, and not only that, but honestly, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed with the trial that I'm going through, and I'm feeling pretty hurt, and I don't even, I can't even think clearly to know what is my next step to move forward on this anyway. And James, knowing that that was probably on the mind of his readers and probably on the minds of some of us, he goes on and says this. He says, but if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. See, God doesn't make fun of us, and he doesn't scold us when we don't have wisdom and we don't know what to do, um, and we lack it. Instead, he just says, no, just ask. Just ask for wisdom, and I'll give it you know, without reproach, and I'll give it abundantly. I'm not stingy with my wisdom. And what I've found in my life is that sometimes God gives me wisdom uh, pretty early on in a trial that I'm facing to kind of know how God is going to use that in my life and in the lives of others. And that's encouraging, but it's still painful to have to go through the trial that I'm facing. Um, however, sometimes I've noticed other times that God doesn't really make it very clear at all how he's going to use that trial in my life and the lives of others. And what he gives me, the, he just gives me enough wisdom to know how to walk forward and trust in obedience and not bail out on whatever God is doing. I know that God's gonna use it some way. I have no idea how that's gonna be, 
And sometimes that's all the wisdom God gives me to move forward on a certain situation. And you know, my wife, Katie, she just recently finished reading a biography of Amy Carmichael to my, to my oldest daughter, Corey, um, the other day. And if you've never read um, about Amy Carmichael before, she's a pretty amazing woman. I encourage you to read uh, any book you can get on her. But she was a missionary uh, for a short while in, in Japan and then a very long time in India. And she had this great quote that Katie shared with me that, that I thought kind of was applicable to, to what James is talking about here. And, he's, um, and she said this, she said, all along, let us remember that we are not asked to understand, but to simply obey. All along, let us remember that we are not asked to understand, but to simply obey. You know, we, we may not always get the wisdom to know how God is gonna use a specific trial in our life um, in the exact way, timing that we wanna know that. But what we can do is we can know that God is gonna give us whatever wisdom he thinks is necessary for us to go forward. Sometimes that's gonna be just enough wisdom to obey and trust him. Sometimes it's gonna be a lot of clarity, but we're still gonna to have to go through the trial. But we can trust that any trial that we go through, God's gonna use that for our growth and for his glory, no matter how hard it is, if we will trust him and obey him through it. But James also says, you know, that the promise of wisdom is conditional. It's conditional. We must not doubt that God's gonna give it to us. And in other words, we, we can't be divided in our thinking. And as I thought about, you know, what, what all would that look like to be divided in our thinking? I think it means, like, I think there's a couple ways we can be divided in our thinking. I think, first of all, we can be divided in our thinking and what we're choosing to trust in. You know, if I'm choosing to waffle back and forth and trust in God, and I'm also choosing to trust in myself or something else to kind of come through for me, you know, that's not exactly um, putting my faith in, in God. And God knows that too. He knows when we're sort of covering our bases and we say, God, could you take care of me? And I'm gonna go make plan B, C, D, and E just in case you don't come through for me, you know, just in case. And, and what God uh, knows and what James is saying is, guys, if you are choosing to trust in God, but then have all these other plans, like, don't expect that God's gonna come through and give you wisdom on that. He's, he's not, you know? Because God does not want to be just a thing that we put our trust in. He wants to be the thing that we put our trust in. You know, God's not okay with just being one of the multiple things that we put our trust in. And we kind of, you know, like to, you know, cover, cover all of our scenarios. But instead, God wants to be the thing that we put our trust in, not just a thing. And not only does doubt cause us to waffle back and forth in our trust in him, but it causes us to also waffle back and forth in our obedience to him. And you know, I've personally found this to be true too. When I doubt that God is um, going to take care of me or come through for me, I, I struggle. And, and I imagine you guys struggle too with wanting to do what he says, because I'm afraid if I obey him, I might end up getting hurt and sort of hung out to dry. And so I'm tempted to run when I ought to stay. But James says, if we doubt God and we put our trust in other things, we're gonna miss out on developing endurance and spiritual groundedness in our lives. And we're gonna miss out on the peace and the pervasive joy and the, the deep root of faith and all the other things that God wants to do in our life if we choose to, to doubt God and what he's wanting to do there. And you may be thinking kind of like I've thought before, okay, well, I don't want to doubt, you know, um, but it's hard, you know, and, Trust me, I, I'm, I'm there too. I've, I've, I've experienced that. I've thought, 
I want I don't want to doubt, but it's hard to not doubt. Um, and James, if he were here, I, I would imagine he would sympathize with that too. Because he, he'd probably say something like, you know, hey, I know what it's like to doubt. In fact, all growing up when my parents would talk about the miracle birth of my older brother, I didn't believe them, you know? And then when my older brother, you know, grew up and started walking around telling everybody that he was God in the flesh, you know, I didn't believe that, you know? And then when he uh, started telling these other crazy stories about, you know, who he was and what he was doing, he ended up doing so much that finally, he finally got himself in trouble with the Romans and he got himself killed, you know? And all because he kept spreading all these crazy stories about who he was and what he was going to do. But then, then it happened. I saw my brother who was dead, now alive. And I was talking to him. And I was spending time with him. I was eating meals with him. And I saw my brother who, now he talked about dying and rising from the dead. But I just thought that was more crazy talk. But then he actually pulled it off. And, you know, my doubt began to go away after that. And so I know you struggle with doubt, but I'm telling you, don't give in. Don't do it. But just take the next step and begin to trust him with what you have right in front of you and see what he does. See what he does with that next thing. And then as James begins to wrap up the introduction of his letter, he gives two examples of trials and how we should respond to them. And he does it around a topic that was really important to people in the first century, and turns out it's still really important to people today. The topic of money. Um, and this is what he says in verse 9 through 12. He says, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of all his pursuits, will fade away. Now, if that was a little bit confusing for you when you're reading that, if it's a little too flowery, literally, um, then uh, I understand. That is not typically of all of how James tends to, tends to write, but in this section, it, it, was, it was a little bit different. But what James is basically saying is this. He says, you know, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, um, you're going to face trials when it comes to money. And while those trials may look different, um, depending on how you handle the trial, they can really grow your faith, and, or they can really dwindle your faith. And so what he basically says to, the, uh, is to poor people, he says, if you're poor, don't grieve over the fact that you're poor. And, you know, and James knew something about poverty. Um, but he says, instead, choose to see the lack of resources you have as an opportunity to really trust God and to grow in your faith. And while you may not be considered highly esteemed in the world's eyes, um, realize that, you know what, in the kingdom of God, you're really valuable. Not because you're poor and regardless of your income, but because you are a child of God and you're a citizen of God's kingdom. And then for the rich people, James reminds them, hey, you know what? Your wealth, that's temporary. You know, it is not gonna last. So you'd be wise not to bask in your, your great wealth or to put your trust in that, but instead to keep your eyes on your humble and utter dependence upon the God that's provided that in the first place. See, in both situations, whether you're rich or poor, it's easy, James says, to take your eyes off of God and to focus your eyes on your possessions or your lack thereof. And, you know, I, I've personally seen this to be true in my own life, too. Um, two, two brief stories on this. 
You know, the first is when I just graduated uh, from college. You know, I, I graduated from the University of Oklahoma uh, with a business degree. Grew up out here, but went to school out there. And so after I graduated, I went on a two-month missions trip to Africa, and then I came back and began to look for a job. And suffice it to say, finding a job took a little longer than I anticipated. And so the little savings I did have that I was living off of began to dwindle and began to dwindle and began to dwindle. And I found myself at one precarious situation where I had, I looked at my bank account and had $35 left. And I was trying to figure out, should I use the $35 to get groceries or put gas in my car to go interview at more places to find a job so I can make money and buy more groceries? Um, <laughs> and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And honestly, I was a little stressed and I was pretty frustrated. And so I just, and not only that, but I had about $50,000 of student loan debt kind of looming over me that was about to start accruing interest. And um, so I went on a run because that was free. And, uh, and I just ran around, you know, the city of Norman for about an hour. Um, and I just took some time just to pray and sort of tell God how frustrated and stressed I was and just cried out, God, would you help me? I don't know what to do in this situation. I need your help. And so I get back to my apartment and my roommate says, hey, your little brother stopped by while you were gone. And he, he left something for you in your room. And so I went to my room and on my bed, and my brother, little brother's still in college at the time. Um, he left a, a sack full of granola bars and $20. And no note, because that's what brothers do. Um, but, uh, and so I was like, wow, that was amazing. Like, he didn't know about my situation. And then about a day later, I get a note in the mail from my older brother and his wife um, with a check for $150 and a note that just says, hey, thought this could be helpful. You know, praying for you. Hope you find a job soon. And again, neither of them knew what was going on in that time. Um, but God prompted them both to give. And while that was a really hard situation, I'm so grateful that I went through that situation because that really grew my faith and helped me realize, man, as I will trust and obey God through trials, he's gonna take care of me. And then fast forward several years, I was married uh, to my wife, Katie, same person. Um, and, um, and we were both working full-time jobs, uh, living out here in California now. And... Um, we were debt-free. We had worked hard. We finally paid off all of our student loans. We had two incomes going, and uh, we had built up a six-month emergency fund so of expenses because, you know, total money makeover, Dave Ramsey. And, um, and then not only that, well, we were beginning to invest even in retirement accounts, and honestly, I was feeling pretty good. You know, I wasn't rich, but I wasn't totally poor either. Um, and while I wasn't fully aware of it, there began to begin this, this slow drift inside of me of my focus beginning to come off of God and onto my money. And I wasn't by any means, you know, not walking with God. I mean, I was, I was trying to walk with God. I, I loved God. I was trying to help other people know and walk with God. But whenever a problem would come up in life or even a potential problem would come up, what kind of gave me a quick, you know, relaxation and peace was not, God's going to take care of me. It was my money. My money's gonna take care of me. I've got a big enough pile between me and life that I'll be fine. And so my trust and my focus in God uh, began to shift over to my money some. And then Katie and I went to a conference in Texas. And within 24 hours of being in Texas, Katie, um, I found myself in a hospital with Katie and she was had to be transported to Baylor Medical Center. And they were running all sorts of tests on her to try to figure out why her legs were swelling rapidly and why she had the heart rate of someone that was in a full-on sprint and yet she was lying down, not moving. 
And uh, I was scared. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, okay, what is going on? And at one point I was driving back to the hospital. She had been there for, she was there for a couple of days. And I was bringing her some food from somewhere outside of the hospital because hospital food sucks and I didn't want her to have to eat that. And um, so I'm bringing her some food and I'm just thinking about this. And I felt kind of like God began to impress the thought upon my mind. And I initially thought, you know, that emergency fund and that savings I have, like, with the way these medical bills are stacking up, that's going to be a drop in the bucket if insurance doesn't cover this. Because we were going to a hospital that was out of network in, in another state. And then an even scarier thought is I thought, you know what, no amount of money could save Katie if the doctors can't figure out what's going on here. And it was like God began to kind of impress me. That's right. So you need to stop trusting money and you need to trust me instead. And that was a very big awakening call for me. And I find, you're right, God, I, I do, I do. I need to trust you. I need to take my trust off of money. And so I began to make a shift more and more in the way I was thinking on that and making sure that, that I was trusting the God who provided the resources, not the resources themselves. And so a prayer that I've often prayed for myself regarding money that, that I would encourage you to maybe adopt or a version of this is something like this. <clears throat> something I've prayed a lot is, Father, help me to never have more money than my character can handle. Father, help me to never have more money than my character can handle. And yes, by God's grace, obviously Katie's alive. She's here in case you're wondering, what happened? Um, she, uh, we ended up needing to get her thyroid removed. So we got that removed eventually. And, uh, the insurance covered most of the medical bills eventually after a handful of conversations and stuff. But, um, but I was very grateful that I went through it because God taught me a very important lesson that you know whether or not, um, however much I have, however little or however much, God is going to take care of me and I need to trust in him. And then James wraps up his introduction with a final word of encouragement and a promise in verse 12. He says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials for once he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, the word blessing or the word blessed in this verse is really, it's the same word that's used uh, in Matthew uh, 5 in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about blessed are you, you know, and he's talking about all these different kinds of people. And he's talking about all these kinds of people who by the world standards don't really seem blessable. I mean, they're going through a lot of difficult things, and yet God says, no, no, you're blessed because you're living the kingdom of God. And this word in the original language that was written in Greek actually means happy or joyful. Um, so what James is saying here is, is if you will persevere in a trials and trust God and trust the process that he's putting you through, that you'll actually come out on the other side of whatever trial you're going through happier and more joyful than you were before you went through that trial but you have to persevere. And not only will you be happier, but when you stand before God, his promise is you will receive the crown of life. And what that is, I have no idea, you know, but I'm sure it's gonna be pretty awesome. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be a pretty amazing reward. And I'll bet, my suspicion is, I'll bet he places that on our head at the same time that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so when you're facing trials of many kinds, you know, as James says, consider it all joy. And rather than trying to ignore them or trying to get out of them quickly, consider what all God is wanting to build into your life through those trials. And if you need help on that, you know, ask God for wisdom. He's got plenty of it. He's wanting to give some to you. And a prayer you might consider also adopting 
that I stole from another pastor, but it's been really helpful for me. Something like this. Father, please use this until you choose to remove this. Father, please use this until you choose to remove this. It's a very different prayer than God, get me out of quick. I don't care what I'm learning. I just need to get out. You know, I don't want to experience this. No, but instead say, no, God, in your wisdom and sovereignty, you've allowed me to be in this trial for a reason. So Father, please use this until you choose to remove this. One final thought, and then we will wrap up for the night and have the band come back up. You know, one of the other things I was thinking about is, you know, your personal faith and your personal growth is not the only thing that hangs in the balance of how you handle your trials. But the faith of those around you is impacted as well. And so when we persevere, we not only grow, but we inspire other people to grow in their faith as well. Because isn't it true when you see someone going through something difficult, and yet they choose to endure and they choose to trust God, doesn't that inspire you to want to also continue to grow in your faith and continue to trust God? You know, I highly doubt that my parents will ever pass on to me a financial inheritance. You know, I could be wrong, but I doubt it's going to happen at the current rate that we're going. Um, but that's okay. That's because it's a far more important uh, inheritance that they have already passed on and are continuing to pass on to me is an inheritance of faith. You see, my parents have had to go through a lot of difficult things over the years. And I got to be front seat, getting to watch that. And what was really encouraging, even as a kid, is that I'd watch them, you know, go through different difficult things and trust God and come out on the other side better for it. And I'd begin to see, wow, like, God is real. And if God can do that in their life, God could probably do that in my life too. And I would say to you guys, God could also do that in your life as well. And so as you go through trials this year, I'd really encourage you, consider it all joy, but not just for your own sake but for the sake of those that are watching, for the sake of those that, you know, are observing your life and, they, and their faith might grow as well. So let me pray for us and then we'll invite the band back up. Father, I, um, I thank you that you are not like, you know, the Greek and Roman gods of the day that would just toil with people for no reason at all. And there was no... There was no lesson. It was just powerful people being mean. And yet, Father, you never waste a trial. You never waste a hard thing that you allow us to go through. Um, but God, it will be wasted um, if we don't trust you and work with you through that, God. And so whatever the men and women in this room are going through or are about to go through, God, I pray that they would really consider all joy that they know that as they trust to walk with you, that you will develop their faith, you'll develop their perseverance, and they will become mature and complete, not like anything. And God, for the people here that don't know you, I pray that you, if they would choose to take a step to get to know you, choose to take a step to ask you to make yourself real to them, and that God, that you would show yourself mighty and powerful to them, and that they could begin to, to know you and walk with you and have a personal relationship with you. Thank you for the way that you use trials in my life and I continue to do so. Your praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms where you can also give us a review. We meet every Thursday night on the campus of the University of Southern California. Get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events, and weekly small groups on Instagram 
at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.